0: This is Morgan Michael welcoming you to Kindsight 101, the podcast where you'll hear from world-renowned educational leaders about the mobilizing power of kindness. Together by challenging our assumptions and venturing beyond the status quo in education, we can make a big impact one small act at a time. I think that this is a really important episode. Basically what I'm going to do is I'm going to go through the four C's of self-care, of taking care of yourself. I think whether you're an educator or you're a teacher or you are an educational assistant, you're a parent, you're an administrator, you work in the school system, you work in healthcare. I think that these four C's that I've come up with are absolutely fundamental to our well-being as service providers, as servant leaders, as people who give of themselves. Because as they say, you cannot give from an empty cup. And so here are the four C's. We have chill and recharge. That's number one. I'll go into more depth in a minute. We have connect. We have find your compass And then we have create. So those are the four. Chill, connect, compass, and create. So let's talk a little bit about chill and recharge. So in order to even get to a place where you can give to people or give of yourself, it's really important to tune in, to have a really deep self-awareness. And so I like to call this chilling or recharging. And so what I like to ask folks during my seminars is what are some of the ways that you like to recharge and there are many different ways that people like to do that some people choose to do that through meditation some people like to get massages some people go for runs some people do mountain biking there are all sorts of different ways that you might choose to recharge some people like to be in the kitchen and just cook up a storm and that brings them immense joy What are some of the ways that you like to recharge? If you can't answer that question, it's really important to set aside some time and really think about yourself because again, in order to give of yourself, you need to be able to recharge those batteries. So how do you do that? next idea for chilling and recharging is this concept of self-compassion so the first one was all about what do you need to recharge the second is about self-compassion so self-compassion kristin naff says has three components so number one is speak to yourself as you would a child and i think that's probably one of the most difficult concepts to really embody and to embrace it's one thing to say it It's a whole other thing when you're in the moment and you've got negative self-talk and you're feeling defeated to just sit down, take a break and just say, you know what? You're doing the very best that you can right now and give yourself a little break. Number two is find your common humanity. So it's likely that you are not the only person in the world who has ever yelled at your kids. I admit it. I've done it. It happens and I'm human. And I know that everyone else has that element of humanity that brings us all together. I think if you show up as being perfect, it can be very, very difficult to uphold that sense of perfection. And then you should on yourself and you beat yourself up. And so whatever it is that you do that perhaps doesn't make you feel proud, speak to yourself as you would a child, give yourself a break, remind yourself that you are doing the very best you can in this moment Find your common humanity, the fact that you are not alone in this, that there are other human beings who have behaved and said the things that you've said and made those same mistakes. And then number three, be really mindful of how you're feeling right now in this space. So mindfulness is a very important practice. Not always easy, simple, not easy. So this concept of being able to step into your body and tune in and think about How am I feeling right now in this space? So that mindful awareness really helps us to change the way that we react to the stimuli in our life. So another element of chilling and recharging, we've already talked about what are some of the ways that you like to recharge? How does self-compassion show up in our life? Which is the speak to yourself as you would a child, find your common, common humanity, and then be mindful of how you're feeling right now. The third component of Chill and Recharge is what do you need right now? So self-compassion and self-care isn't always embodied by bubble baths and giving way to what your ego desires. It's not always about eating the cookie. It's not always about, you know, having ice cream. It's not always about staying up late because that's what feels good and Netflixing all night. Sometimes it is, but it isn't always. It can be about how do you set yourself up so that you can reach the goals that you wish to reach. So it could be setting your alarm early and getting a good night's sleep. It could be choosing a workout over a cookie. It could be saying no to a work function so that you can be home with your family. It could be saying no to your family so that you can take time for yourself. It could be really choosing to say yes to more opportunities in your life instead of saying no. Our life really is not designed to be a one-size-fits-all. So it's important to tune in to what you truly need and to let go of the should that everyone else in society kind of places on us. It's important to take care of yourself. So that, in a nutshell, is what Chill and Recharge is all about. Our next C in the components of caring for yourself is connect. So now that you're solid, and I will say this is an ongoing practice and I'm not always perfect at it. Let me tell you, but I think it's a good mindset. It's a good roadmap to follow, to really get to that place of equilibrium. So now that you kind of have found your way to connect with yourself, find a way to connect with those around you, tune into the relationships in your life. I urge you to make a list of those people with whom you wish to spend the most time with. I often talk about this 80-20 rule in my sessions and I urge you to think about the 20% of people who bring you 80% of your joy. Find a way to connect with those people this week. I'll tell you a few ways in just a moment. So now connecting with your loved ones also requires that you zoom in on them, which means that you kind of have to zoom out on others you simply cannot be everything to everyone right so who are some people who leave you feeling perhaps worse off when you spend time with them we all have those people in our lives that you know cause us pain or make us feel like perhaps we're not enough or maybe you even find yourself falling into the kind of like unhealthy patterns of pleasing or defensiveness when you're around them trust that gut there's no need to hang out with people who bring you down. Sometimes you need to unfollow people in real life. Someone's even said you have to fire your friends, which sounds so extreme. But if they're not really truly serving your your life, if, the, if you don't actually feel like in your heart you want to be connected to them because they're surrounded by negativity or or you feel horrible about yourself when you're around them there's no sense in in sort of maintaining that relationship put your energy into the relationships and the people that bring out the best in you that make you feel awesome that's how you connect to yourself another way to tune into that connection is through this idea of the five love languages so essentially Gary Chapman came up with this wonderful idea you may or may not be familiar with called the five love languages. Now this isn't just about your relationships, but I will say it does help to decode some of the tricky, some of the tricky like language barriers that kind of happen with relationships, you know, when there's communication difficulties and you have that conflict that happens. These five love languages really give a serious anchor to rebuilding relationships so essentially here are the five one gifts two quality time three words of affirmation four physical touch and acts of service so for example my daughter loves gifts she's a gift girl some of my friends love quality time i really like words of affirmation Um, my husband's a real physical guy he loves to have hugs and acts of service. Those are the types of people who uh, really enjoy when you go and you do favors for them. Um, And, you know, like, for example, maybe delivering something to them, going out of your way to do something kind, that stuff really matters to those people. So I urge you to tune in to the 20% of your friends, family members, students, those who you consider to be your bottom hands, as Dr. Jody Carrington would say, you know, those people who push you to be and to like do your best but also to hold place for you when times are tough and so I want you to think of that 20% of those people in your life and do something small for them related to their love language so essentially find a way to be generous and as they say don't just abide by the golden rule which is treat others as you would like to be treated but actually follow the platinum rule which is in fact treat others as they wish to be treated. For example, like I said, my daughter, she loves gifts. So because she's a gifts girl, I might go and buy her just a little just because gift just to show her that I was thinking about her. My friend is a words of affirmation kind of girl. So I might send her a little snail mail note of appreciation. Um, And honestly, like when's the last time you received a note in the mail? It's a pleasant surprise amongst those bills, right? Maybe you have a friend who's been reaching out, but you've been too busy. So maybe organize a lunch or, you know, a walk or spend some quality time with her. You get the picture. Anyway, when we make it our intention to shine a light on those whom we love, it gives us life. It seriously recharges us. And when we feel connected to others, we can overcome the negative feeling of stress in our body. It's just plain science. Oxytocin is that connection hormone. It blocks the negative damaging effects of cortisol, that stress hormone. So when we connect with others, we are more self-regulated and we're able to access that prefrontal cortex more readily. So that's the part that's responsible for the higher level thinking, the empathy and the rational thought. So we do better when we connect. And that's a really important piece. Another way to be uh, benevolent in our connection is with strangers. So not only those 20% of people, I know that I just said to shave down your friend list, but the more positive that your daily interactions are throughout the day, the happier you will be. And that's proven science. So the bonus about this is that you just never know how one connection might spark a new opportunity or a blessing in your life. Never count out the random interactions. And actually my friend, Brian Miller, who I had on Kindsight 101, talks about the magic of three new people. He said, on average, we meet about three new people every single day, and that we can either choose to capitalize on that by engaging with them, or we can choose to turn a blind eye to that. And he says that by capitalizing on that, which was not actually his forte, he was a very shy person. But now that he capitalizes on that, he has had such an abundant series of opportunities in his life around, you know, being an author, speaking gigs, all sorts of different things, running his own podcast. He has created all of these opportunities as a result of inviting those new connections into his life. So an easy way to do this is to simply smile at strangers. And if someone is waiting on you at the grocery store or in the Starbucks lineup or even at a restaurant I mean, it's really easy to simply mention their name as you pass through. You can thank them for their service. You can do so by name. I mean, people are always a little suspicious with generosity, but trust me, it'll make their day. And we know that good feelings are contagious. It's likely they might just pay it forward. And a note about names. Here's the thing about names. Remembering a name is actually really easy in terms of a strategy for making someone feel seen. At work this week, I've got a challenge for you. I challenge you to state the name of every colleague you speak to casually and positively in conversation. I know it may seem kind of weird, but I promise it won't be weird to them because here's the kicker. We all love to hear our own name. So for example, when you're talking to Shelly at work, you might say, Hey, Shelly, Hope you had a really great weekend. I was thinking about you and then she might talk to you and then you could insert her name again and go, yeah, Shelly, you're right. Like I was thinking about this moment and it was reminding me that of something that you do in your classroom or whatever it is. But if you can mention someone's name once, twice, even three times in conversation, it has the proven effect of connecting you on a deeper level and who doesn't want to be more connected i mean honestly and i think the benevolent the benevolent sort of response that you get from people when you use their name is super beneficial to how you'll feel throughout the day so that's one strategy and i want to talk a little bit about recognition because i think that this is another important piece of connection. So whether you're a parent or a teacher or a coach or a mentor, there's actually a gap between the level of recognition that a boss or someone in power feels when they're giving sort of that recognition versus what their employees or the people, quote, under them feel that they receive. So this is actually called the recognition gap and there's an 80% gap to be exact. So in order to counteract this perspective of the boss feeling that they give adequate recognition for a job well done and the employee feeling like they actually don't get a lot of recognition, that you can just remember this very simple rule. It's called the five to one golden ratio. So for every one piece of criticism that you dole out, you could give and connect in a positive way five to different interactions or pieces of positive interaction or compliments for example to that individual in order to make them feel like you truly care about them as a person so it's the five to one ratio for every one criticism there should be five corresponding positive interactions and that's just a simple thing that you can really bring to the forefront of your mind as you are interacting with the kids in your class, the people that you coach, your own children. It's not always going to be perfect. You're not always going to hit it all the time. But it is one of those things that can remind you that how we talk to people really truly impacts how they feel about themselves and a slight shift in the way that we implement and increase our own positive interactions can really shift the way that people feel around us and as Maya Angelou says love liberates so it's important to make those around you feel good because in that in that sort of light They can see themselves in a more positive way and then your relationship will be better off. And again, back to connection, it's always great to have positive connections in your life. It makes you feel whole and it makes you step back into that sense of worth. Love is seriously everything. If you lead with love, you will have those deeper connections. Kids will tend to work harder for you and be more engaged in the work that they do. All right. So we've talked so far about the idea of Tuning in by recharging and chilling. And then the second piece is about connection. Now we're gonna move on to number three, which is compass. So finding your compass. As Steve Jobs said, you cannot connect the dots looking forward, but you can connect the dots looking backward. You may not always, always know exactly where you're headed, but you can certainly tune into your inner compass. And that compass is in the form of your intuition. As Monique Gray Smith would say, That is the whisper on your heart. My mom used to call it the little voice inside that knows the truth, the next right step. It's that voice that tells you what your passion is. So when it comes to finding passion, I think a lot of people tend to get kind of stuck. I love Elizabeth Gilbert's take on this. So she wrote big magic and she did a talk on this concept of the jackhammer versus the hummingbird. And I think it's just brilliant. So she asserts that there are two different kinds of people in the world. There's the jackhammer. And so those are the people that you give them a goal. And by sheer, slightly unhealthy grit, (laughs) the job will get done no matter what. Goal achieved. So then there are the other people, the hummingbirds. And I think a lot of hummingbirds get a bad rap because jackhammers don't always understand the journey of the hummingbird. And I think society tends to celebrate and validate the journey of the jackhammer. So hummingbirds are essentially these people who seemingly flit from one passion to another, and they kind of dabble And they seem disconnected in terms of their interest patterns, and slightly disorganized. And the truth is that these people often find their passions by following their curiosity. So this is big. Instead of feeling maybe kind of lost and at a loss because you can't find your passion, what if you were to follow your curiosity instead? that maybe that, in fact, would be the answer to helping you get more clear on what your passion, in fact, is. And so sometimes that's where your greatest innovations can take place. I think about this video that I saw recently online, which was essentially a stop motion felt animation that is so brilliant and must have taken, I don't know, how many hundreds, thousands of hours to create. But it's beautiful and it's resulted in millions of views. And so, this is where a sculptor has intersected with a felt artist and a stop motion enthusiast. And that, those three interests have culminated to create something beautiful that perhaps no one has ever seen. And that is remarkable. And passion is born out of this sense of curiosity. And if we can stay curious and remember that sometimes it's good to do something for the pure joy of it, that I think our heart just feels fuller and we can do great things. So when we go back to that whole 80-20 rule, Brene Brown says that joy is actually the most vulnerable emotion that we feel because we are often foreboding it. So whenever we feel joy, we often quickly want to knock on wood in case we've just cursed our luck by acknowledging the joy we feel. I know that she's often used the example of when a parent feels joy that their child is growing and everything's going well in their life and they acknowledge all the pluses, suddenly they feel the urge to race over to their baby's crib or to check that their child's vitals are good just because of the fact that they've acknowledged the joy in their life. So I just think it's such an important thing that if we could shift the way that we look at joy and invite it more actively into our lives, perhaps our lives would feel more joyful more often. So again, 20% versus 80%. What 20% of events or people or hobbies or places or activities or pastime bring you 80% of your joy? What if you invited more of that into your life? with intention maybe even with reckless abandon what would happen then finding your compass has more to do with your curiosity than simply finding a passion it also has to do with being intentional about your time and how you spend it so as they say when we write our goals down and our intentions on paper we are 42 percent more likely to actually achieve them so get writing I often like to take teachers through the painted picture strategy in order to get real about goals. I love Danielle Laporte's desire map for creating a feelings-based approach to goal setting. So if you haven't read the book, she essentially urges readers to set an intention based on the feeling that you'd like to have and the association to a task that you'd like to have as a result of accomplishing it. So I think this is a really important piece. Not only does this help you to realize when you've achieved your goal, because you can tune into that feeling, am I feeling the feeling that I was hoping to, it also keeps you motivated and it also helps you to align more wholeheartedly with your goals instead of being, you know, externally motivated by what you think the world wants you to be, which can often leave you feeling hollow and even kind of unfulfilled. All right, so back to that painted picture strategy that I was promising here are the three main steps and it is really remarkable it's an amazing strategy because it can really get you clear on visualizing how you hope to be in the future and if you can get clear on your visualization you have this unconscious ability to manifest what it is that you visualize so quite often when we visualize the negative stuff we invite more of that into our lives if we are more positive in our intentions and our visualizations It is more likely that we're actually going to align ourselves, that our compass is actually going to direct us in that more positive path. So here's step one, retreat. So find somewhere quiet where you can reflect. It's really important that you're not distracted by other things, work, social media, children, (laughs) all those things. Find some quiet space. Number two, visualize yourself in any of these categories in two years, five years, or 10 years from now. You could even do all three really if you have the time picture the kind of life that you'd like to be leading during that time like really visualize it take yourself through an ideal day and really engage your senses in the activity to make it feel and seem as real as possible so what does your morning routine look like what do you see as you wake up what are some of the smells the sounds around you what are you eating at that moment and even throughout the day who's with you what do their voices sound like who are some of the mentors and the people you look up to how are those people actually intersecting in your daily life what does your health routine look like what kind of vehicle are you driving or are you even driving at all where are you spending most of your time what is making you happy or bringing you joy what number is in your bank account this can be a tough one for people, but nail it down just for fun. What are you doing with your downtime? So seriously paint a picture of what your life looks like. turns out that this is really powerful in terms of setting that intention of who you want to become and where you want to go. If your mind can imagine it, see it, and really embody it in a, in a senses kind of way... It's more likely that you can actually achieve it. So next, this is your third step. Ask for what it is that you need to get to this vision. Write it down. Say it out loud. Tell your significant other so that they can be a champion for your dream. If you pray, pray. If you meditate, meditate on the question. What do you need? Who do you need to be? Who can I be so that I can achieve my goals? Do I need more money? more time, more connections, more reflection, less pressure, fewer commitments, more education. What do you truly need in order to get to where you wanna be? Now that you're clear on it, you can ask for that. And when we ask for what we want, it's not always guaranteed, but it's more likely that subconsciously you will find a way to get there. And that is so powerful. All right, so goal setting. This is also an important piece. I like to think of myself as an essentialist. So I like to zero in on a task and I tend not to zoom out again until it's finished. I think that intensity actually helps me to be very productive, but it can be tricky to balance and sometimes I have a hard time in my life with that kind of balance if I'm not careful. So I can get a little lopsided and I'm sure we all can get that way a bit. So I've come up with kind of an effective way to set mini goals throughout One of those days that's like a big, wide-open workday where I have a lot of stuff to get done and really within different categories. So in order to maximize my own productivity and make sure that I'm holding up my end of the bargain with those who depend on me, I like to look at my day through these sort of chunks of time. So let me be super clear. This is not for every single day, but it's for those days where there's a wide expanse of space and time where I need to get a lot of stuff done and that I know I'll be stressed if I don't. So there's a certain amount of pressure. This is not an everyday work day. But maybe it would be if I was a stay-at-home mom or caregiver and I had to really be disciplined about the way that I spent my time in order to get what I wanted to get done done. So, for example, the categories that I use for my goal setting might include my family, my health and self, my career as an educator, my podcast career, my friends, the work that I do on my blog and my social media, my speaking engagements, and my master's work. So lots of hats, lots of responsibilities. I'm sure that many of you feel the same way. So I make sure to do sort of a brain dump in each area before I head into a big day. And I select a couple of achievable goals for each category. And once I've done that, then I assign time chunks to each one. So for example, any given Saturday, I might break my day up into a run and shower from 6 a.m. to 7, social media break from 7 to 7.30, coffee with my husband and cuddle time with the family from 7.30 to 9 a.m., and really set aside some quality time. I might do writing blogs and updating my podcast from about 9 till 10. I might record two or three interviews in a really busy day from about 10 till 1. I like to jam-pack them so that I can batch and get things done. I tend to be more productive that way. I might have lunch from about 1 to one thirty. Get back to work on planning, say, Pro-D sessions from one thirty to 3 o'clock. I might go have a little walk and a break with my kids from about 3 till 4, have a snack, take a break, and maybe call a friend from about 4 till 5, make and eat dinner from about 5 till 6, read and do some schoolwork from 6 till 7, put the kids down 7 to 8, and then spend some time with my hubby from about 8 till 10, and then head to bed early. Now that is a busy day, and I would probably feel pretty tired, but I'd also feel like I got a ton done. And so the key is to block out your day into chunks of time and to adhere to it as best as possible. And the truth is, I hit my targets about 85% of the time. There's glitches, there's stuff that goes sideways, but I have a super high standard in terms of how I like to spend my time. And if I hit most of my goals for most of the time on those super busy days, I really feel good about things. And then I can spend more time on my family, my friends... And some of the other things that bring me joy on the other days, especially on those work days where I feel exhausted after a day of teaching, where I cannot fathom having the mental space to actually sit down and think about my podcast or my blogging. So that's a little insight into how I plan and goal set. So now we've gone through three of the four C's. We're going to move on to create in just a minute. But just to recap, we've got... We've got the first one, which is chill and recharge. Then we've got connect. So different ways to connect to the people in our lives that matter most. Connection is everything. And then third was all about the ability to tune into your compass. And now four is create. So here's a truth that I recently sort of tuned into. I really believe that here's the thing. Unspent creativity can be the catalyst for grief and restlessness and discontent. So I really believe that everybody has the capacity for creativity. In fact, it's more of a practice than a talent. And many educators refuse to see themselves as creative people. I think often we believe that being creative is reserved for air quote here, artists, but I truly believe that we're all made to be creative. And that creativity is the highest expression of universal humanity it's true it is the highest expression of universal humanity it is a huge service not only to yourself but to other people and by keeping your creative gifts to yourself it's actually an act of selfish behavior believe it or not So there are a lot of ways to be creative. If you want to find out more about your own creativity, you can easily hop onto the Adobe website to take their brilliant and research-based creativity test, which is mycreativity.com. It's seriously fascinating. You might just want to learn a little more about your unique brand of creativity, and that particular tool really enables you to do that so that you can step more fully into your own sense of creating and creativity. I'm going to reference Elizabeth Gilbert once again because I love her book, Big Magic. She talks about the fact that creativity is based from inspiration, which is less tied to the individual as a creative genius than the personified idea that finds the ideal creator. So in other words, perhaps it's possible that unless you honor inspiration by giving an idea a good try, that it just might flit on to someone else who will take it more seriously So dip your toe in. Do something that lights you up in a really big way and maybe makes you think of things in a more abstract way. Lose yourself in the state of flow. Flow, after all, is sort of hailed as that magical ideal within the matrix of of challenge and skill where you float kind of beautifully between this lush space between the tension of anxiety and boredom. So it's like the perfect catalyst and environment for learning if you can hit that place of flow time sort of passes you can't even really zoom back out because you're so tuned in to what you're doing and it's bringing you such joy So try something new, try something that piques your curiosity. We've talked about curiosity a lot today. Try something that is completely unrelated to your current work. You might just learn something. You might expand your knowledge. You might find yourself a brand new passion. And I think it's worth noting that there are certain things that really prevent us from creating. So what are those things? Often it's the fear of not being good enough. It's perhaps the shame that we might disappoint others or ourselves that we might be gasp mediocre, (laughs) I think that we all find solace or we can find solace in the fact that generally most of the work that we do will be crappy. It will be. You're not going to be good at everything that you try for the first time. And if you are, maybe it's not the right thing to be doing because you're not going to grow. So Anne Lamott talks about the power of understanding that we all write the shitty first drafts. Every one of us, but bit by bit, over time, we can become better. We can be urged on by the belief that our work matters in the world and that we really only can improve by continuing to iterate and put our work out there. And as Seth Godin says, my dear mentor, someone who's been on Kindsight 101, a best-selling author, someone who has his own amazing podcast called Akimbo, he talks about shipping your work your inherent value doesn't decrease based on someone's inability to see it do the work don't read the reviews do the work just keep putting it out there keep trying your best every time you do something you're going to get a little bit better at it just keep making keep following that curiosity take care of yourself serve the world be willing to fail gloriously knowing that you gave it your all The world needs your gift. You matter more than you know. So those, my friends, thank you for listening, for hanging in for these almost 40 minutes. These are the secrets to self-care, to finding your place in the world, to being the fullest expression of yourself. You need to be able to tune in and chill and recharge And recharge that battery to a point where you can actually serve the world. You need to be able to connect to those that matter to you. And by doing so, you're giving them a gift of being seen and heard. And the world needs more of that. And then you need to find your compass. What brings meaning to your life? When we have meaning in our life, our life becomes more fulfilling. We feel more happy. And the bad things that happen really don't feel as insurmountable if we feel that we have a compass and a purpose in our life. And it doesn't have to be this abstract vision of passion. It can simply be following your curiosity, trusting that intuitive voice inside that really does have a good understanding of what it is that you need and what it is that you want and what is your calling and your purpose And then finally, of course, create. So once you've followed that passion and you've followed that curiosity, undoubtedly your human nature dictates that you need to create. You need to draw. You need to write. You need to find a way to let your knowledge and your learning out so that the world can appreciate and learn from you. Thank you so much for tuning in. I appreciate you being part of the Kindsight 101 mission and the value system that I'm bringing and I hope that you appreciate and that you can share this if it brought any value to you and that you listen to it again and you cut it up into chunk size, you know, little chunks so that you can really digest it fully because I think if we can internalize this message that we can bring more value to the world. And if you like this podcast episode, I talk a lot about these issues and these concepts in my professional development seminars, and we go through different exercises real time. So if you enjoyed this and you want to bring this to your staff, please reach out to me on smallactbigimpact.com and book a Pro-D session with me, and I would be happy to bring your staff through these four Cs and to make this really tangible for you. And your staff. Thank you so much for listening. I want to thank you for the wonderful reviews that you've left for this podcast on iTunes. Your reviews make a big difference in helping other educators find this show. If you think that I'm doing good work here, and you'd like others to get inspired and join our 21 day kindness challenge and movement, I'd love it if you would take a minute, head over to iTunes and leave a review. Thank you so much. This has been another episode of Kind Sight 101, the podcast. For links to resources mentioned in this episode, visit smallactbigimpact.com and click on our podcast and choose this episode number. Now I'd love to give my audience a heads up about my new book, which will provide ideas actionable strategies and inquiry-based approaches to creating kinder classroom through serving the community. Subscribe to my blog for more information. Now I would love to hear from you. What's the biggest insight that you gain from this conversation? Head over to our website, smallactbigimpact.com, leave a comment on our podcast page or tag and connect with us on social media with the hashtag smallactbigimpact to share your inspiring story of kindness Can't wait to hear from you.